Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to know more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We would love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. We're in a series right now entitled People We Know. We're taking a closer look at how Jesus expects us to respond to difficult people, as well as a look at ourselves to see where our actions and habits line up with God's Word. Let's get into this week's message. Okay, hey, before we get into the message today, this is a special week. If you're new to Grace Life, so glad to have you with us. Uh, Something special is about to happen. For those of you that have been a part of Grace Life for a while, you know this is our week of prayer and fasting. And we do this twice a year for one week. And the reason is it's, it's kind of a reset for our souls. So we do it in January. If you've been around Grace Life since January, you've already been a part of one of these. And, uh, you know, in the, in when a new year starts, January comes along and you're making all these resolutions, you're joining the gym, you're doing all those things you've forgotten about by February, right? Uh, and so we're trying to get our, our, our self back in some sort of an order. And one of the key things we definitely need to do at that point is to say, okay, God, help us reset with you. Well, we, we think another time to do that is August because, you know, you've been away to vacation. You've been, it's summer, it's hot. Sometimes that ends up being spiritually hot because you go on what should be a vacation, but it turns out it's a family trip. And there's a difference if you guys don't know the difference. And so you find yourself not really reading your Bible because you just want to kill the kids that you brought with you and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and then the new school year starts. And some of us will truly, our lives revolve around school years more than calendar years, right? Come on, all the students, parents of students, teachers, all that sort of stuff. And so we also do this one week in August. So what is this all about? Well, if fasting is a new idea for you and, and this is something that you haven't heard a lot about, I, I'll, I'm going to tell you that I'm not going to actually teach on it today because we've done that a lot. But on our app or on our website, lots of resources, some of the messages we've done, some Q&A. What is fasting? Why do we do it today? Uh, I'll just give you one short little one-liner real quick. Jesus said that his disciples would fast. So if nothing else, that's a pretty good reason, right? Uh, And so basically it comes down to this. Even still today, in 2018, we need either a move of God or more of God. Don't you think so? Is there anybody in here who does not need either a move of God or more of God? Raise your hand. Yeah, I didn't think so. See, I mean, that's the whole point. So that's what this week is about. And I I want to, for those of you that have been a part of Grace Life, you've come out to these before, I want to make sure you understand we're going to make some changes this week and and a little bit of a reset. I, I think it's kind of become something over time where we think the people who come out for our morning prayer times are people who just love Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody in here, you you just love waking up at 2 a.m. and praying for two hours for other people? Anybody? Anybody? We can let you join our prayer team. Okay, anyway, uh, here's the point of that. Most of us, we are not what we would call intercessors. There's a word in the Bible, intercessors, people who pray for, intercede for other people. And so a lot of people think, well, that's what we do in the morning. We just sit around and go, oh, God, help John, you know, or something like that. And uh, so many of us just stay in the bed. I want you to know that's not really what we're doing. When we come here in the mornings, especially this week, we're going to reset what we've been doing. What we really want to do is help everybody learn how to start your day with God. 
So when we take this hour here, it's going to have a little bit of worship. It's going to have a little bit of prayer. It's going to have some time of some staff members sharing if you were doing the Bible reading that day, how you could get something out of that and, and so forth. So don't think that it's just come sit in a dark, quiet room for an hour and fall back asleep. It's nothing like that at all. So I want to encourage you, if you've never been a part of it, definitely come and join us 6.30 every morning this week, except Saturday when you get to sleep in and come at 9. Yeah? And then tomorrow night at 7 p.m., really different. That's not the goal at all. What tomorrow night is all about is uh, just saying, God, you're great, and we're going to bring as many of your people together to tell you that we want more of you and a move of you, that we specifically as a church want to be used by you to reach our world. We want you to do something in our lives. So tomorrow night is just an incredible opportunity we only do twice a year. Once in January, once in August, we come together and we worship God and we ask him to do amazing things. And it's super cool. We pray for people that need healing. And I'm just, it's, it's, it's great. So hope to see you guys tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Good? Everybody good? Yeah. All right. So here we go. We're in a series we started last week and uh, talking about people we know. And I told you last week also there's a subtitle, or people we may be. <laughs> and so don't spend the whole time going, yeah, honey, you should pay attention. Hopefully, as we're talking about people we know and we're learning how to deal with difficult people in our lives the way God would want us to, there's a, another piece of that, and that is learning how to not be a difficult person. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? So either people we know or people we may be. And as we're doing this, we're doing this for four weeks, and so we're looking at four personalities of uh, things that are difficult. We'll just leave it at that. But I want you to understand this. Uh, all of these are some sort of character flaw, or at least a character weakness. So nobody gets off uh, the hook by just saying, well, you know, that's just the way I am. It might be the way you are. I've got a friend of mine who, well, he can be difficult sometimes. And, and it turns out that most of the time when he's being difficult, he says, well, this is the way God wired me. <laughs> Look, that might be the way God made you, but you're still broken and messed up. So we, we need to not use any of these things that we're talking about for these four weeks as an excuse to say, I'm just that person. So we kicked off the series last week with the unchristian Christian. <laughs> Nobody gets to say, I'm just an unchristian version of the Christian. Yeah. See, here's what happens. How do you become an unchristian Christian? Well, you, you discover that you need Jesus, and so you put your faith in Jesus, but not your lifestyle in Jesus. If you missed that last week, go back and catch that online. It's very easy to say, Jesus is my Savior and I'm going to heaven, but while on earth, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of still be me. So what we want to talk about today, though, is something else. It is the conflict avoider, and we're going to start out with a little self-test. So if you will take a look at the screen, either one of them here, and uh, let's figure out where you stand. And come, there we go. Look at that. All right. So some of you are on the end over there with a number one, and you would rather avoid conflict at any cost. You are the person that if someone blows their horn, you pull over the car and you get under your car. You just hide, you know, that, that person. And, and then there's the other end of the scale, the number five, the, the person that says, I'm just waiting to rip into you. I dare you. Just give me a reason. Come on, all right, here we go. And you gotta raise your hand one or the other. So somebody, all the number ones, you avoid conflict at all costs. Come on, raise your hand. There we go. And now you just can't wait to tell somebody what they deserve. Okay, I was looking to see which were spouses were like opposite of each other because that's, woo, that's fun. Some of you didn't raise your hand, which means you're already trying to avoid conflict. <laughs> Or maybe you're a three. Come on, we got some threes in the room. That's why you didn't raise your hand. You think you just, you're just the perfect middle person, aren't you? 
Well, you know, if I need to, I'll set them straight, but if not, I'm just loving. I'm just the perfect middle. Well, I'm going to tell you today we're going to blow up the perfect middle most likely, and if you're on one end, we might move you to the other. Turns out that's what God did with me. If you knew me 20 to 25 years ago, uh, well, first of all, you would fall down if someone said I was a pastor. That's the first thing that would happen if you knew me back then. Uh, but the second thing is, I was really good at conflict. I would have said I'm a number five plus, maybe a six or a seven, something like that. Because I'm really good in a verbal debate. I, I'm really good at just crushing somebody with words. I'm pretty good with words, actually. I get paid to speak for a living. I mean, if you think about that. So, uh, you know, so if somebody just gets into it with me, you're in trouble. You, you're going to kind of, and I was just excited. How dare you? You, you cross me and you're going to pay for it kind of thing. And, and, but then I became a follower of Jesus. And then on top of that, I became a pastor. And, and I discovered when you have conflict as a pastor, people expect you to be nice. And they actually expect that you're going to be like Jesus, and they are going to like Jesus after you have conflict with them, which totally like blew me up because I'm not really good at having conflict with somebody and having them like me in the end. Come on, y'all know how hard that is? That's hard. So I've just decided now I'm like a number one. I'd rather avoid conflict at any cost simply because I'm better at representing Jesus if we don't have to have any conflict, right? So I've moved, but I have not gotten to the right end because... One is not the answer either. So why are we talking about this in church? I mean, let's think about this. It sounds fun. We can laugh a lot. We can talk about this. But truthfully, just trying to maybe realign our personality style uh, doesn't in itself sound like a biblical thing. It doesn't sound like something we need to come to church to really confront. So why are we talking about this supposedly when we're focusing on growing spiritually, becoming more like God? Good question to ask. Well, I think it comes back to some of the reasons that we avoid conflict, and it turns out that pretty much every one of them is not exactly what God would want for us. So, for instance, the, the first idea that some of us have behind why we don't do conflict is because we want to be a peacemaker. Well, that sounds good. After all, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So he said, I'm just, it's the Christian thing to do just to keep the peace, isn't it? Isn't that the right thing to do? Well, yes, if you're actually keeping the peace. But the problem is, when we deny the problem and refuse to confront the conflict, you're not keeping the peace. You're ignoring reality and lying to the other person. Or how about this? Sometimes we, we don't like conflict because, well, we just have a low confidence and a, a low self-worth. And we don't want to get into a debate with someone that we have insecurities about ourselves. I mean, you know, we think they're too good or they're too good with words or, or who am I to confront them? You know, they're a better person than I am. Who, is, who am I? Woe is me. One of those kind of things. And well, what that means is that you're operating more out of what the devil says about you than who God made you to be. That's not good either, is it? Or it might actually be because, well, it's just self-protection. Maybe you've had some conflict before and it didn't go well, and you have some broken relationships, or maybe people who love conflict have come after you before, and well, they've really hurt you, and you still have wounds in your soul, and so that seems like a good reason to avoid it, right? Well, unfortunately, it means that the hurts are staying there, and they're getting protected instead of God healing you so that you can have a healthy conversation with someone who needs to have it. So, well, that's not a good one either. And then the last one that I think is probably a primary one for most of us as well. Some of us, we're just people pleasers. We just like it when people are happy with us. The problem is, Paul just said, that's really not going to work for anybody who loves Jesus. Here's what he said at the beginning of Galatians. He said, look, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? Am I trying now to please people? 
he says this, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Because making God happy and making everybody else happy, those two don't go together. You can make God and some people happy, but you will not make everybody in your life happy if you're making God happy. So it, it turns out we do have a reason to talk about this because most of our reasons for avoiding conflict are actually avoiding the good things that God wants to do in our soul. So let's see what God would say about this. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. If not, it's going to be on the screens right here beside me. We're actually going to pick up right where we left off last week. So again, if you weren't here, we were in Ephesians chapter 4, and we were talking about how once you start following Jesus, there's a line in the sand, and you change. And so you can't remain the unchristian Christian. You have to become the Christian. It's what has to happen. And so here's where we were in verse 17. Last week we said, look, now this I say, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And let's just stop and pause right there, because if that's a new term for you, the, the word Gentiles meant the people who don't follow God. So there were God's people, the Jews, and then there were the not God's people, the Gentiles. So when you read your Bible today in 2018, most of the time, most every single time, you can just replace the word Gentile with non-believer or unbeliever or not a Jesus follower, something like that. That would be a good way to kind of get through Scripture as you're doing it. So here's what Paul says. Like, look, you, you can't any longer live as a non-Jesus follower the way you used to when you were a non-Jesus follower. No, he actually goes on to say, look, as you were taught in him, the truth is in Jesus. You've got to put off your old self, which is the former way you lived, and now you've got to put on a new self created after the likeness of God. And that's where we left off last week. And here's the funny thing. As he goes on to his very next sentence, you think he would give you a list of all of the things to make you more like God in your private life. You think he would begin to talk about, you know, uh, what you, how you pray and how often you read your Bible or maybe what your internet habits were, but, you know, that sort of thing. But he doesn't. As he talks about put off your old self and put on your new self, he begins to make a list of how to interact with the people around you. Isn't that interesting? That part of being a follower of Jesus and having a new self has a lot to do with everybody seated beside you or works beside you or lives in the house with you. That's where we're going to pick it up today. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And too often we simplify this. We oversimplify Scripture sometimes, and we, we think that falsehood simply means don't tell a lie. So, so as long as you don't go to somebody when they say, I didn't do it when you did. I didn't say that when you did. You know, that kind of thing. We're thinking, well, well I'm good. As long as you don't do what you do when kids, you know, they're standing there with cookie and chocolate all over them, and Mom says, who ate the cookies? And you're like, not me. And so you think, as long as I'm not, like, telling an outright lie, as long as no one can catch me in a verbal trap, you know how we'd tell half-truths? Did you do that? Did I do what? Let's be real specific about the that so I can try to work my way out of it. We think as long as we're not doing that, we're good. We're not, we're not violating the Scripture. It's okay. I'm not telling a lie. But it's deeper than that. See, to put away falsehood means not only do you not let the wrong word come out, it means that your very life, your actions, your attitudes represent the truth. And when you avoid conflict, you typically are acting like everything is good when it's not. And that is deceptive. When you let them think that you're their friend, 
hey, you want to go to the movies with me Friday night? Uh, well, well, I'm actually kind of busy. I wouldn't go to the movies with you no matter what. You know, that kind of thing. Where, but you never say that to them. Just, uh, yeah, I'm busy this week or, or, or something else. It's misrepresenting the truth of the situation. Turns out that that's, <laughs> that's some of our specialty. Raise your hand if you're a Southerner. Come on, Southerners. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? We are really good at just lying and calling it polite. <laughs> it's the Southern way. It's the Southern thing to do. I love how we look at people and just go, oh, come on by any time. My God, I hope they forget where I live. <laughs> I mean, you know, we do that, right? So, oh, it's just no big deal. Don't you worry about that. I can't believe they did that yeah, sort of thing. I remember, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this podcast, but anyway, I remember when I was a kid, we got a brand new car on vacation. We came home from vacation. I mean, this car is like days old. And we went over to somebody's house and she was kind of showing the house to one of her friends. And one of the, friend, the friend's kids came out and dropped something on the hood of the new car and put a dent in it. Now we're in the South. What do you think my mom said? Oh, it's no big deal. It's just metal. It's just a car. Don't you worry about that. And as soon as we drive away, I can't believe it. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, it turns out we got Midwesterners. Any Midwesterners in the room? I had one of you tell me this week when they looked at my notes, it's not just a Southerners are really good at being polite and lying. Midwesterners are just really good at acting like, well, you'll never know. <laughs> They'd be the best poker players in the world. Their emotions are like this. And that's how they are. Now, see, that's why we have to talk about this today. Because all of us are not from New Jersey. Come on, anybody from New Jersey? <laughs> Praise God, one of you. You tell it like it is. You can go to lunch, man. We already got this thing solved. I wish if we were all from New Jersey, we would be going to lunch today early. But we're not. That is why we're talking about this. So he goes on to say, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is, I think, one of the most misunderstood and oversimplified verses in all of the Bible. And so especially in the context of what we're talking about today, we get the idea, in your anger, do not sin. And, and what comes to your mind? Well, we think, well, as long as I'm not smashing windows and beating up their car with a bat when they cut me off, and as long as I didn't throw bricks at my boss today, you know, and that kind of thing, I, as long as I keep the rage monster inside, I'm okay, you know? Which, by the way, we thought about making the Rage Monster one of the four. We, we voted against it, but it's way more than that. Because, see, first of all, anger comes in so many different forms. And we don't put anger as a label all the time. And anger is growing and anger is inside of us. But we like to say things like, especially Southerners, oh, I'm just a little bothered. I'm a little frustrated, but I'll, I'll be okay. And so we, we don't think that we're actually dealing with some anger stuff. But what's the whole point on the do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your anger and give the enemy no opportunity? That's the, those are the key words, give the enemy no opportunity. How do you give the enemy an opportunity? It is letting something grow in your soul. That's why it says don't let the sun go down. Some people, again, they take this too simple and too literally, and so they think, we're having a fight. We're going to work it out before dark. You better get over here and talk to me, right? No, it's not really about that. There are plenty of times you're not going to be able to resolve it before darkness literally comes, especially if you started your fight at 10 p.m. You're basically messed up, you know, if that's what the Bible says there. No, what it really means is don't let this keep staying there. Don't let the next day come and the next day go because, well, especially if you do actually sleep on something. Come on, we've all learned when you sleep on something, you begin to process it. 
And so if you go to bed really angry at somebody and you just stay in that frame of mind, then it's going to be a little different the next day. You're going to be a little more used to that anger. And it's just going to begin to build up and have its place there. So this is why the Bible tells us, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. Think about that. Above your retirement fund, guard your heart. Above all else, above what people think of you, above your wallet and your iPhone and whatever else, above your car that you park out at the end of the lot, three spaces all around you at Kroger so nobody can scratch it. No, no, no. Above that, which is cool when it's new, right? But guard your heart because what's going on in here is more important because this is where we give the enemy an opportunity. Now, see, this is where the rubber meets the road today. If you were to ask me, Jimmy, why are we really talking about this? What is the real point? Well, the real point is that we have to keep a clean heart. In every relationship around us, we have to keep a clean heart. And when you avoid conflict, it's the very thing you're not doing. Because you're allowing something to grow in here. You're allowing bitterness to grow in here, frustration to grow in here, anger, yeah, even if you don't want to use that word, is growing in here, malice and slander. And all sorts of things are, are building up in here because you're upset and they don't know that you're upset. Or maybe they do know you're upset, but neither of you are talking about it. And so here's the next part of that. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do comes out of it. What that means is the way you see this person comes out of what's been building up in your heart. So at one point, they were just a person who said the wrong thing to you. They hurt your feelings, okay. But when you don't deal with that and that adds up, then more comes. And, and no longer are they somebody who said the wrong thing to you last week. Now they are a bad person who always says bad stuff. What you think about them comes out of what's in your heart. What you say to them comes out of what's in your heart. What you say about them comes out of what's in your heart. How you treat them comes, and y'all know the difference, right? You go to work and somebody, hey, how you doing? So good to see you. Oh, yeah, you too. Good to see you. Good morning. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and why? Because there's something in here that we haven't really dealt with and everything changed. How you pray for them comes out, or how you don't pray for them. It all comes out of what's in your heart. The truth is, I bet many of us have a story. I'm gonna share with you a story from my life. And uh, the sad truth is that I have a story. And the sad truth is that I bet every one of you can relate to exactly the kind of story I'm about to tell you. And that is, long ago in my, my life, I, I had a relationship with, with a, a friend that just totally went the wrong way. And you, you wonder, how, how did that ever happen? And I don't know if you've ever had a relationship get to the point where it's so broken that you would probably say it's irreconcilable. And it sounds like that shouldn't happen, especially if someone's a Christian. How can it not be reconcilable if someone's a Christian? Well, it turns out this was the very thing that I feel like broke down in our relationship because I had said and done some things that hurt his feelings. And the problem is his personality type was the one that said, just let it go, except he wasn't actually letting it go. And so whereas I thought we were really good friends and just rubbed each other every now and then the wrong way, what happened one day was he told me he never wanted to see or hear from me again. And it was no longer because when you said that last week, you hurt my feelings. See, here's the beauty of it. If you have a problem with someone and you can actually go to them and say, look, what you said last week hurt my feelings, you can deal with that. Hey, when you were whispering about me 
I think that's a problem we need to talk about. You can deal with that. But when they don't even remember the events, they don't even remember what was said, they don't remember anything except it has turned into you are Satan's son. Which is honestly what they would say. Or very, very close. You can't really reconcile that. Because there's no way to fix how hard their heart has gotten. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And that's something you can keep praying for. But unfortunately, I bet I'm not the only one that has a relationship that, well, you just wish you could change it. And sometimes you can, and well, sometimes. Why? Because our hearts aren't made for that. And if you or the other person, maybe some of you today, you're the one who allowed your heart to get to the point where you've broken off a relationship with someone because you simply think they are so evil you don't ever want to see them again. I'd encourage you to sit down and pray with the Holy Spirit and begin to ask him, is that person really what you think? Ask him to show you the truth about some of the events and maybe you can get back to a point where you can sit down and at least reconcile with that person. You maybe don't ever have to be best friends again. And if you're on the other side of that where you, am, where you are like I am, you can keep praying and asking God to do something. Because see, I'm going to put up a sentence for you because this is the reality that we live in. We will either resolve conflict with people or we will have to manage conflict in our soul. You're going to have to do one of the two. We will either resolve conflict with people. We will go to them and say, look, there's, there's something going on. You, you and I need to talk this through. We, we need to be able to have clean hearts towards each other. I feel like every time you walk in the room, you want to kill me. Or every time you walk in the room, I want to kill you. Whichever it is, you know, we, we've got to talk about this. You're either going to have to resolve conflict with the person or you're going to have to manage the conflict in your soul where you're trying to act like everything is good, but honestly, it's not. And I think that's why Paul ends this passage with this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All the forms of anger, all the expressions of anger, all the expressions of hatred and ill will. That's what all those words kind of accumulate to. And he goes on to say this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. You catch that word? You, you see, you can't be tender-hearted to someone in your life if, well, if you secretly wish they would get hit by a truck. And you wish that because, well, it's not just something that happened. It was something that happened that you never resolved and it got harder and harder in your heart and the bitterness accumulated. And, well, now you're not tender-hearted. You're hard-hearted. And the relationship is broken. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that there was simply never a conversation. There was never an attempt to bring reconciliation. So what should our response to conflict be? Funny enough, Jesus answered the question. In two different ones of his teachings, he actually gave us both sides of the story. In Matthew chapter 18, he said this, look, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Wow. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous teaching, he, he twisted it the other direction to prove a point, which is, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Did you catch that? Here's what Jesus said. If you're offended, go have a hard conversation. Clear up what's in your heart. Fix this. Do something. And then he said, look, 
If you're not offended, but you know you did the offending, then go have a hard conversation. Clear up what's in your heart. Clear up what's in their heart. Do what has to be done to keep a clean heart. If you're offended, go. If you're the offender, go. Either way, have the hard conversation. That's what Jesus expects from us. It's the only way that we're going to be able to represent what God wants. And you would say, well, why is this such a big deal? I'm going to tell you why. Because when people have these conversations, many times it allows people to grow. You see, one of the things that my friend robbed me of is the opportunity to apologize and become a better person by learning how I was blind, how I was hurting him. He also robbed himself of the opportunity to find out if what he thinks is actually true by putting it out there in front of other people. As a result, neither of us grew. And then one worse thing happened. You see, when you don't deal with the conflict and reconcile, division grows. Division grows. And division is the enemy's specialty. And he loves when we are at odds with each other. He loves when Christians get to a point, especially Christians, get to a point where they just refuse to talk. They don't think they can talk. You actually reach a point where one of them may say, I'm not sure the other one is a Christian any longer. Now look, some of you at this point are ready to go. You've got a list of names you've been collecting for the last few minutes. You were over there at the number five. Like, just give me a reason. I'm going to take somebody down. And the pastor just gave you a reason. Some of you are about to blame me. You're going to go call up a bunch of people. Like, I got it done by 9 p.m. I'm going to have seven people fix me. I'm going to tell them what their problem is. I'm going to call. The pastor told me to do it. You're in trouble. Come on. Don't raise your hand. Some of you are there. So before you go blaming me and making a mess of your life, I'm going to leave you with one more thought. How you handle the conflict makes all the difference. Proverbs 15 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Just because you're going to go have a hard conversation doesn't mean you have to use hard words. Some of y'all need to write that on your mirror. <laughs> or a refrigerator or something. Just because you're going to go have a hard conversation doesn't mean you have to use hard words. Matter of fact, this is for free. You probably should pray before you go have that hard conversation. You should pray for them. Duh. You should pray for yourself. Because you know the enemy is going to love to just get you fired up once again and you're going to just start a verbal blast. No. The point is to keep a clean heart. To get your heart clean. That's what we're after. Look, the truth is we'd all like world peace, wouldn't we? Anybody ever watched like the Miss America pageants or the whatever they are? Seems like everybody just wants world peace. That's what, give them the microphone. What would you do if you, uh, I would live world peace. We all want world peace. And someday we'll have it. It's called when Jesus comes back. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. It'd be awesome if we could have world peace, but you and I will not see it until Jesus returns. The reason for that is because, well, the world is still fallen and broken. And even Christians, while we don't always act quite the way we should, or respond the way we should, or say what we should. Did you catch how Jesus said, go, talk to your brother, if he listens? You see, the truth is, sometimes, sometimes it's not going to work. I've tried with my friend just 
we're just not on the same page right now. And why am I saying this? Well, because some of us use that as permission to avoid the conflict. Jesus didn't say, go to your brother, I promise he'll listen. Jesus says, go to your brother. He might listen. But either way, don't give the enemy an opportunity. Don't let that stuff grow. You go and talk to him. You keep your heart clean. You get where you need to be. See, we need to go have the hard conversation and give the enemy no opportunity in our soul. You will either resolve conflict with people or you will manage conflict in your soul. And that is your choice. Choose one. I'm gonna close today by inviting those of you to make Jesus your king who have yet to do that. Maybe it's because you didn't really understand what he's done. You see, Jesus voluntarily gave his life for you. Voluntarily. You know, sometimes we look back at the story and maybe if you've heard the story, you, you get the idea that the Roman government came and they, 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 they took him and, and they did this. But he looked at the guy that was in charge and said, you don't have any authority over me. I am voluntarily giving my life for all of these people I love. And so if you were here today and you know that you're not right where you want to be with God, and you're tired of trying to be good enough, and you're tired of trying to earn your way, and you're tired of trying to act and pretend and whatever else it is, and you know now is the time. I want to invite you to begin a conversation. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to come down front. But right where you're all seated, would you all join me and pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me, and now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer in this place today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.